Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Cole. tells us that 
It's night time. The night is far spent. And if you look at the papers and hear the commentators over the radio, certainly these are dark days. And what a privilege we have to send out heavenly sunshine to the nations of earth. Really, this little chorus has caught fire, being sung out practically in every language where they're able to hear the broadcast in every foreign language. And I tell you, I want you to just do your level best today and just send it out as we've never sung before. Come on, stand up, sing Heavenly Sunshine. As you sing through, turn around and shake hands with as many as possible and really lift it up now with a smile in your voice and on your face. Come on, sing Heavenly Sunshine. Heavenly Sunshine.
I'm sure that every Christian in this auditorium or listening to us over the air today is thankful to God that there are those who are willing to invest their time and means to make it possible for you to hear the gospel and to be saved. We have but one purpose, and that is to win souls to Christ. And I would ask you, have you done all God would have you to do to win others to the Lord Jesus? God's word says, he that winneth souls is wise. You can share in this soul-saving ministry and thus help to reach countless multitudes with the salvation message. If you have not already written, may we not hear from you this week. Thank you.
ready to go ahead with the letters. Yes, I have some good letters for you today, friends. From Massachusetts, a man writes an interesting letter. Dear Dr. Fuller, on August the 2nd of this year, while motoring from Venice, Italy, to Mestor with two Christian friends from Egypt, we turned on our radio. We heard your voice very clearly giving forth the word of God. That and the singing made my heart beat faster, for it brought us near to home. We all joined in the singing of hymns with you. It was thrilling to be halfway around the world and in a strange country and to hear a familiar voice coming out of the darkness and warming our hearts. May you continue with the success for God. A man writes, Dear Mr. Fuller, I've been wanting to write a word of testimony for some time, so at this Thanksgiving season I shall do so. When Christ first saw fit to save me, I was a drunkard, a libertine, the most wretched of sinners. I was hopelessly staring the very pit of hell in the face and contemplated suicide. Since then, I have become a new person and have recovered a measure of respectability. The church has seen fit to elect me an elder. My wife is a Sunday school superintendent. Both our young daughters have accepted Christ, and I think my young son will soon. What blessings! If I seem to boast, I am boasting in Christ for what he has done for me and mine and will do for anyone who will surrender his life to him. All these things have taken place in the short space of two years. This last letter is from Fairbanks, Alaska. A nurse writes of what the hour means to her there in her loneliness. Dear Reverend Fuller, every Sunday morning one of our radio stations comes on with the dear old-fashioned revival hour. When I first got here, I looked in the papers right away to see when your program came on. And when I found I could hear it, then I felt that I could stay. I'm nursing here in the hospital, and on Sunday morning, much to my surprise, all down the halls, in room after room, I hear your program. It surely is a favorite, and you can really never, never know how many really do hear it and are blessed by it. Please remember Fairbanks in your prayers, and me personally, for it is very lonely here. And that is all I shall have time for today.
the souls that need Christ. Come, every soul, by sin of breath. There's mercy with the Lord. son Daniel Fuller with us again today after many Sundays away. So happy to have you lead us in prayer. Thank you, Dad. And now may every Christian that's on praying ground today as we go to the throne of grace for help in the time of need. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this open door of radio evangelism which thou hast held open now these 26 years. Father, we thank thee for the many souls that have come to know Christ And as we consider the powers of evil that do exist in this world today, we know that it is only through thy power and through thy grace that this broadcast is carried on. Father, we thank thee also for the gospel, which is the power of God and the salvation. And Father, we pray today that as this gospel message goes forth, that those who feel defeated because of their sins and because of their evil natures, that those who feel enslaved to circumstances, that they may receive hope as they look unto him who is able to save to the uttermost all those that come unto thee through him. Father, we also pray for those who have no hope beyond the grave, who are trying desperately to find pleasure in this present life and yet never seem to be able to find it. Lord, may they come to Jesus Christ who alone can fill up their hearts with joy and satisfaction and happiness. And may they come to know that abundant life which he alone can give. We also pray that as a result of this broadcast today, many young converts may be strengthened in the faith, and that many laborers may be sent forth into the harvest fields of the world, that many untold multitudes may come to know Christ, in whom alone is eternal life. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.
listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. The message for today is titled, The Work of the Holy Spirit. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13, as we rejoin the broadcast. I'll provide information on how to get in touch with us for a free copy of today's message after Dr. Fuller's message. Again, may we take the word of God and turn to the first chapter of Ephesians, especially meditating today upon verses 13 and 14. It doesn't seem possible that we're on the very threshold of our 27th anniversary of continuous radio broadcasting, and I just want to give God the glory for his wonderful faithfulness towards us, keeping us in health and strength all these years and permitting us to have this marvelous ministry of sending out the gospel to nearly a worldwide audience. Truly, God is faithful. In Ephesians chapter 1, we learn of the conception of the church. And when I speak of the church, it's not any one denomination, but members of the body of Christ out of all denominations. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, we learn the conception of the church in the mind of the Trinity before the foundation of the world. The church had no beginning. As long in the eternal ages past as God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have existed, they have existed from all eternity, the church has existed. The work of the Trinity is seen in the first 14 verses. And in verses 1 to 6, our Heavenly Father's work is outlined. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. The conclusion is seen in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then in verses 6 to 12, the work of God's beloved Son is outlined, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, through whom we have attained an inheritance, and so forth. And then the conclusion in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. And then in verses 13 and 14, we have the work of the Holy Spirit laid before us in these words, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, and then the conclusion, unto the praise of his glory. Underline those three conclusions. To the praise, we should be to the praise of his grace. We should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. And then unto the praise of his glory, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their work, conceiving the church in their mind before the foundation of the world. The church is the greatest, not organization, but the greatest living organism that this world has ever seen. Thus we see the work of the Trinity in their conception of the church before the foundation of the world. Now today, may we meditate upon Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, especially upon these words in verse 13, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, and then in verse 14, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. I want to give you some of the deeper things and lead you away from the rudiments of your faith leading you into greener pastures and besides still waters, that you may know him and the power and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable daily unto his death. Now notice verse 13, in whom, that is in Christ, ye also having heard, having believed, were sealed, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, Paul, the beloved apostle, preached, thank God, he preached the word of God at Ephesus. He wasn't taken up with all the modern-day philosophy of that age and all of the higher so-called learning. But Paul, the apostle, preached the word at Ephesus. And according to Acts 17, 17 to 27, now note, his message was, first, repentance unto God, second, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and third, declaring unto them the whole counsel of God. 
I'm sorry there are those today that go so far in dispensational teaching to say that repentance is for a former age. Paul preached after the resurrection of Christ from among the dead. Repentance. And except ye repent, ye shall perish. And the repentance is to be preached today and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God for the ministers who stand without any fear of favor, declaring unto the people the whole counsel of God. Now, as Paul did in the Corinth and Athens, surely he did in Ephesus. He came to them not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto them the testimony of God. And his speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, and a power that their faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And when the eternal ages begin to unfold ahead of us, thank God for those who have preached the Word and preached Christ and not taken up with the enticing words of men's wisdom. Be it said to the Ephesians believers' everlasting credit, notice they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, they believe. Now note in these two verses that the word of God is designated in a twofold manner. First, the word of truth, or the truthful word. And that message is concerning Jesus, who is the truth, who is the way, the life, or the truth and the life. And again in John 17, God tells us that His Word, Thy Word, is truth. And He preached the Word of truth. Are you seeking for truth? Then go to the Bible. It just burns me up when men high in industrial life or in high executive positions, never born again, begin to give opinions on the life hereafter. Great scientists that know, know Christ as their personal Savior we admire them for their intellectual attainment. But what do they know about the hereafter? For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. These things are spiritually discerned. And if you want to know what God has to say, go to the Bible. That's where you find it. The truth. Then the good news or gospel or glad tidings of your salvation. Realizing this, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. And every time you open your Bible, you read a message from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And therein, in the Word of God, you'll find the answer or the answers to all your problems. You don't need that any man should teach you. Come first to the cross, and be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and be brought nigh by the blood of Christ, and enter into that father-son relationship, and then humbly, depending upon the Holy Spirit to throw light upon His Word, He'll lead you in and guide you into all truth. You need no man to teach. Well, the Ephesian believers heard, they repented, and had faith in Christ. And so John 5, 24 tells us, He that heareth my word 
and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment or condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Listen, he that believeth shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16:16. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see light, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3:36. And that's the eternal word of God. Now in verse 13 of Ephesians 1, in whom having also believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the Spirit's two names are given here on two works. First, the sealer, and second, in verse 14, the earnest. Now, what does it mean? In verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, not before, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the seal signifies many, many things. And these words undoubtedly refer to a custom still found in Europe and in Asia of placing a distinctive mark upon one's possession, a stamp of validity upon legal documents. Take up in our great logging camp, especially along some of the great rivers where there are several owners of various logging or uh, timber claims as the contracts are let for the logging crews to go up and bring the timber down. As the timber is cut and placed into the river and sent down to a central mill pond, those various logs are marked according to the claim or the owner's claim. And when they all come down, perhaps three or four different kinds of ownership and kinds of logs, when they come to the central mill pond, they are segregated and sent to the various sawmills according to their ownership. Again, you take out in the West here with our great cattle industry, there are various brands. And when a buyer goes out, he may buy from different uh, cattle owners. And as the cattle is brought into one central place, mixed up, Yet when they are placed in the train or weighed and ready for shipment, they are segregated according to the brand. And the owner receives his rightful remuneration for the cattle that he sent. And so Paul no doubt had witnessed the different seals along some of the war uh, or piers in his travel. When merchants had brought cargoes to port and after bartering for their sale, receiving satisfactory offers, uh, had their goods marked, the consignment marked with the mark of ownership. The goods were sealed, were marked. Thus Paul sees in this illustration, a sinner brought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, becoming a son of God through faith in Christ, receiving the seal, the mark, the imprint of the Holy Spirit as an evidence of belonging completely to His divine Lord and Master. Sealed with that Holy Spirit. 
And when a seal is placed upon a private or government document, it changes the character of that paper. It becomes official. And in the Word of God, it signifies a finished transaction. You take in the realm of the exchange of property. You say when you sell a piece of property to another party, down at the end of the deed, I have set my hand and seal this blank day of so forth, 1951. What are you doing? You are signifying that you are passing ownership of that property to the purchaser. And it is official the moment that the notary puts his seal upon his piece of paper that you declare that you are doing this uh, under the terms of the contract and according to law. Now it signifies ownership. Nevertheless, according to 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are His. And let every soul that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And the Lord knows the professors from the possessors. For many shall say to me in that day, Lord, haven't we done many mighty miracles in thy name? And goes on and enumerates some of the miracles. The Lord shall say to you who have a form of godliness but no power, whose names are upon a church membership roll but never born again, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Satan has his ministers of righteousness. Satan has his counterfeits. Satan has those that profess to name the name of Christ, but have never passed from death unto life. And when the great time comes of the first resurrection, it'll be the dead in Christ imprinted with the seal of the Holy Spirit as belonging to God. And there'll be no mistake then. God will separate the wheat from, or the chaff from the wheat. I'll listen. But the possessors, he that is born of God, listen, does not make a practice of sin. And you say you can go on sinning day after day, leading your own life and doing your own way, and be saved. He that is born of God does not make a practice of sin. True, you may fall into sin, but you'll never be happy until you come to the place of confession and obedience and restoration like David of old. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And now notice the seal gives security, guarding the treasure from injurious hands. And when the tomb back there after Calvary, when the tomb of Christ was sealed as a security against the possible abduction of his body, it bare a protecting seal under the Roman government. And so he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And I want to say this, you're bought with a price. You are sealed. You are imprinted with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if your neighbor, if your wife or husband, brother or sister, 
see any marks of the imprinting work of the Holy Spirit. Peace, joy, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, kindness, forgiving one another even as God has for Christ's sake forgiven us, kindly affectionate one to another, long-suffering, his delight to overlook a transgression, and speaking evil of no man, but bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Do you bear the imprint of the Holy Spirit? I must hasten. If you bear the imprint of ownership, God says to glorify the Lord in word, in action, and be a real witness. Now an earnest and I must close. An earnest is a pledge or a part payment down made by the purchaser to seal a bargain, a down payment on a contract later to be completed. And in the Old Testament days, if they purchased a piece of land and the land was removed from the center or some distance, a sample of that land would be brought in a little jar or container to the new purchaser. And the owner would guarantee that the balance of the land was exactly according to that sample. In other words, an earnest, a pledge, a payment, a guarantee. When you and I are saved, listen, and we've come and our hearts have been cleansed and loosed uh, by the blood of Christ from the sins and put behind his back, the Holy Spirit comes in as an earnest, a payment down that what we have now in the Holy Spirit, when the full payment comes and we shall be like him, listen to me, that we might bear the imprint of this payment down. We have received the first fruits, the early rain. We're now waiting the latter rain and the complete harvest when all the souls that have been born again will be gathered under the Lord Jesus. Chosen in Him, predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son, accepted in the Beloved, redeemed by His precious blood, given an inheritance, sealed by the Holy Spirit with an earnest until the full redemption price or time come. God is not willing that any should perish. Unless you bear the imprint of the Holy Spirit, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. You can have all the outward profession. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Unless you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're lost without hope, without Christ, lost for all eternity. But He says, Come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Let's bow our head. Out in the radio audience, give your hearts to Christ today. And while our heads are bowed, how many will put their hands up and say, Brother Fuller, pray for me. I need Christ as my personal Savior today. God bless you. Pray for me. Are there others who will put their hand up and say, God bless you. I need Christ today as my personal Savior. Oh, God bless you. Love to have you remember me in a word of prayer. Up in the balconies to my right, I'm just, God bless you, God bless you. In the balconies to the rear, 
Put your hand up and say, pray for me. And the balcony's to the left. I must close. Anyone up there? The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You need Christ as your personal Savior. Put your hand up and say, pray for me. Any place on the lower auditorium, God bless you, sailor boy. God bless you back there, my dear man. I must close and bring, God bless you, I must bring the old-fashioned revival hour to a close. We'll continue the invitation after we leave the air. Continue in prayer as we leave the air. Yeah.